Hello everyone and welcome to the CFS Health Recovery Podcast where we help you with practical tools and inspirational stories for your own recovery back to good health and living again. In today's episode, we sit down with a very, very special guest. This person is an inspirational speaker. They have a very unique story, being born with no arms. And not only that, the way this person lives their life is nothing short of inspiring. You're going to learn about her journey through navigating life without arms, literally, no hands, no arms, how she is super capable, how she does ocean swims. She's just done a swim around an island off Australia that, frankly, not many people have done in her situation and circumstances. Her mindset her strategies on her mindset and how she deals with life when things feel tough. You are going to get so much out of this interview. It left me with so much inspiration and gratitude and it's going to do the same for you. So sit back, relax and enjoy this episode with Kerry Lee. So I can pick it up and move it around and We're gonna, do all sorts. We're- we're about to record a podcast and you've got no arms at all. Is that right? That's right. Nothing. No arms. Complete no arms. Absence of both upper limbs. Yep. Complete absence of upper limbs and you're freaking typing with your toe and then you moved your desktop to go down. That's a good introduction <laughs> to a podcast, isn't it? You're welcome. <laughs> Let's get into it. Welcome, first of all, everybody to the CFS Health Recovery Podcast. My name is Toby Morrison, and we do have a very special guest today, Kerry Lee. And first of all, welcome, Kerry Lee. I appreciate you coming here. Thanks, Toby. I'm getting shivers down my spine as I'm thinking about this, but your story is incredible. Not only your story, but who you are as a person and what you do. And for those watching this on video right now, you might notice that there's maybe a couple of things missing from Kerry Lee on screen. And Kerry Lee literally doesn't have any arms. And just before we hit record here, she was doing something with the computer. I could hear some noises in the background. And I'm like, what's going on down there? I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm just turning the volume up. And I said, how did you do that? And she goes, with my toe. Just a quick show of how you did that. Just for the people watching at home, this is incredible. Yeah. So I can just reach the keyboard up there. Hypermobile hips, baby. Hypermobile. (laughs) Unbelievable. I can't wait to get into your story. We help people with chronic illnesses get healthy and start living again. And chronic illness is pretty tough. In in some ways, they can't do what they want to do right now when they're going through recovery and the the carpet is swept from underneath their feet, so to speak. Life is completely different to what it was previously. And so that's really hard to deal with. And there, there's definitely an emotional struggle that comes with something like chronic fatigue syndrome or chronic illness where it's frustrating. You want to be able to do all these things and you can't. And I think this conversation is going to be really powerful because your story is quite unique too. And I'd love you to take us back to the beginning if you could of who are you and what's your story in in a, in a short couple of minutes and then we'll dive deeper sure 
I was actually born with a condition known as congenital amelia. So that is essentially born without one or both limbs, but there's never been any identification of why. So I was born in the 80s and back then ultrasounds weren't done as a matter of routine. They were only reserved for when doctors actually thought that there was something wrong. And my mum had this like textbook pregnancy. I was my parents' first child, so she didn't know any different. She said like in hindsight, she should have felt movement other than just in the bottom quadrant, but she could only ever feel me kicking and not punching, but she didn't know that wasn't maybe altogether okay but she was really healthy I was otherwise growing normally and they asked they said are you going to do any sort of ultrasounds and they said we don't usually do it as a matter of routine but if you want one we'll do one but I think a really defining moment was the doctor said to my parents he he said oh if we do find something wrong with your baby I'm going to have to ask some really difficult questions and get you to make some really difficult decisions are you guys prepared to make those decisions and it was at that point that my mum said, no, don't worry about it. Don't need an ultrasound. I feel fine. Let's just roll with the rest of the pregnancy. Wow. Yeah. My mum and dad have been very honest with me. And I'm like, oh, do you know what you would have done? They said, no, we don't. Because back then there weren't the medical tests to find out what else was going on. They would have just been told that their baby didn't have both arms and they would have been asked some fairly difficult questions. So I think they're really grateful that they made that decision. My mum delivered me naturally. So along with the doctor, it was my dad who saw me first and everyone was like, oh shit, what's going on here? And the doctor actually said to my dad, don't say anything to your wife. Just wait a sec. So they wrapped me up, whisked me away, ran a whole lot of tests and then came back and basically said, your baby's got perfect motor reflexes, perfect coordination and a complete absence of both upper limbs. (laughs) So that's where it all began. And I think that my parents are two of the most incredible people on this earth because they just took it in their stride. They were like, this is it. We've better call our family and friends and tell them that our baby's arrived. And that's where it all started. They just ran with it. They never, ever worried about the why. They never focused on who was to blame or what may have happened. It was just like, this is it. She's got no arms. Let's raise this child. And that's what they did. Yeah, I think my parents are pretty awesome. (laughs) What courage, especially in the 1980s when you're right, ultrasound was a luxury. What courage to just go, no, let's just do this. I love what you said about how they didn't question the why. No, we've never, ever focused on the why because heaps of people automatically assume that I was a thalidomide baby, but I'm actually too young for thalidomide. It was well and truly um, out of circulation by the time my mum was pregnant. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, surely you've wanted to know why or did they do any tests? I'm like, it's not going to change anything. What on earth is this going to change? And I think that's the view that my parents took as well. No answers were going to change the fact that I had no arms. They were never going to grow. And we had to find a way to work with that. I'm really glad that was never a focus for our family. It was never about pointing a finger or finding a a reason or dwelling on that. It was just like, that's done and dusted. This is what we're working with. Let's find solutions. I love it. We're we're huge on solution focus as well. What I'm curious about is obviously from one to three or even maybe a bit older, did life just feel normal for you? Like you didn't know any different? Yeah, I didn't know any different. I knew that I looked different. And that was one thing that my folks did that was a really clever move is that they put a full length mirror in my bedroom almost from when I was little. So from about the age of five, my grandfather was an amazing carpenter and he made me this little low down dressing table so that I could sit and do my hair and play with jewelry or whatever. But it had a full length mirror. So I could see my body every single day and I got very used to how I looked and I just was completely at ease with my appearance. I knew that I was different to other kids, but I was really comfortable with my appearance. 
and I think that was a, a really brilliant thing that my, my, my folks did. Um, I was never scared of my body. I was never embarrassed about it. I was just, this is it. This is how I look. How old were you yeah. when your parents said to you, hey, you're a little bit different? I don't think they ever did. I don't think wow. that was a conversation we ever had. One of the conversations I do remember having, though, was again back in the 80s and probably early 90s, there was that focus on artificial limbs. So the default was if you're missing arms or a leg, then we'll look at giving you prosthetics. And so we did explore that because that was what was in vogue at the time. But back then they were really heavy sort of plastic mm. and they didn't have the functionality that they do now. And it was really more of an aesthetic thing. It wasn't for practical reasons. And I think my parents are quite averse to having an attachment on my body to make me look like everybody else. But we still continued down the path of exploring what their functionality was. But I was about five and I said to my mum, mum, if I get arms, will I be able to hold my friend's hand in the playground? Will I feel my friend's hand? And she said, no, you won't. And I said, if I cut myself, will I bleed? And she said, no. And I'm like, no, I don't want them. That was when we stopped having the discussion about it. We didn't pursue it any further after that. You are so, amazing. Yeah. There's, 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 there's a gene in your family that's just let's just get on with it. Yeah. This is a waste of my time. Can we move on to something else, please? Wow. <laughs> so. If I put myself in your shoes, I'd imagine going to school and looking at everyone and seeing the arms and then me looking down and not seeing any. What was that like and how did you navigate that? I think, again, I don't ever remember having that sort of light bulb moment that I was completely different from everybody else. I often forgot that I didn't have arms. My feet became my hands and I spoke about them as my hands. They had almost a dual purpose in my little mind. I went to ballet as a young child and my mum said I looked so confused one day because we were told to point our toes and also lift our arms above our heads and I'm like trying to point with one toe and lift my other <laughs> leg above. <laughs> I think with young kids I was probably more scared of them than anything because they were like these little missiles flying around me you know how little kids run and jump yes. and skip quite quite nervous about falling because if I did fall my head is what hit the ground first so I was always acutely aware that I couldn't be bumped or I couldn't trip over so I tended to migrate a little bit more towards adults because I just felt safer with adults in those early years of being a child and it was only when my confidence grew and I could learn to say oh please don't bump me or no I'm not going to run around and do that or where I just had a little bit more stability on my feet that I've ventured into the playground and started being a child <laughs> so unbelievable yeah. we're going to get into what you're up to these days soon what oh. you're doing right now physically is unbelievable in fact most people who have arms and legs can't do what you're doing at the moment so i can't wait to share that with everybody but cool. one thing i'm curious is did you deal with bullying or did you get that growing up yeah certainly in lower high school and in primary school bullying was was a part of my life i always had the safe space of my home to come back to so that's one thing that again so grateful for my home was always my sanctuary so i could always come home and i could tell my parents what had gone on and it was just this constant dialogue in our home of they're just words. If you let them hurt you, if you let them affect you, then they become true, but they're just words. That's not your reality. You have to rise above it. This time will pass. It was just that constant reiteration of the fact that it wasn't true. Kids are going to be mean. That's what kids do. Mm. They're insecure about a whole lot of things. You just have to ride the wave. <laughs> this is just so relevant 
for everyone in life, but also especially people with chronic illness, they're coming up against people who don't understand them. Thankfully, you had a great family who understood you from the very first day, which is just brilliant for many people with chronic fatigue syndrome and the like, the outside society don't really get them. Why aren't you running? Why aren't you working full-time? Why aren't you this? Why aren't you that? And it can feel overwhelming. And I think not taking it on and realizing that they're just words Mm. puts you back in the power seat of choice. Yeah. Yeah. I think as I've got older, a lot of what I've learned is to try and be as transparent as possible, though, within what I feel comfortable with. So I've never really been shy about what I need help with. And I'm happy to talk about that on here. Like one of the classic examples is as soon as I'm out of my own home, I can't go to the bathroom on my own. So I have to ask somebody to basically pull my pants and undies up and down. I can do the rest myself. But when I was in the workplace, I had to rely on sort of formal support services to come in and give me a hand with that. And that was fine, but it was also a very structured arrangement, which didn't always work. I had meetings or something would happen off the cuff. And then I was like, oh, hang on a sec. They're coming at 10.30 to help me go to the bathroom. So I, I got quite comfortable with just sharing with colleagues and friends, like what my day-to-day looked like and the sorts of things that I needed help with. And by being transparent and being comfortable with just showing a little bit of vulnerability, It just built that trust with the people around me. And as soon as I had those connections that are built on trust, people like, hang on a sec, you don't need to rely on formal support services. We'll just help you. Like, it's no big deal. We'll give you a hand. And that's where I am today. I don't actually have any formal support services at work because I've just got this network of amazing women who have all said, anytime you need a hand, just send me a Teams message and I'll help you out. To me, that's the best outcome oh it's um, unbelievable i think one of the hardest things to do though in those moments especially at the start did you feel like giving up yes certainly navigating a new job in a new workplace was quite uncomfortable for me because i knew that i didn't have those networks there and Mm. so it was back to formal support services twice a day and just the anxiety around that i'm like oh Maybe I should have just stayed where I was. Maybe I shouldn't have worried about a career change. It would have just been easier to stay in the one place where I had all of that there. But it took a matter of weeks, I think, before one of the ladies at work who I'd gotten to know, she's like, oh, you do know that if ever you get stuck, you just ask. I don't mind at all. It's no biggie. We're all the same. I'm like, oh, sure, sure. No problem at all. So Mm -hmm. it, it really doesn't take that long. It's just... I think in my mind, I'm like, oh, people will never offer to help me with that. I don't know how I'm going to build those networks again, but humans actually really lovely and we all forget that sometimes. We all want to help of course. deep down. It's yeah. we, when we're in our own story, we think no one understands me. No one wants to help me. Yeah. Yeah. What are some things that you did to initially set those boundaries? Because I think a lot of people at home really struggle with that initial enrollment of hey this is where i'm at can you help me with this what are some kind of things that you did that helped you bridge that gap initially you said it was a matter of weeks you're obviously someone who really can make decisions fast you're like your mum and dad this is boom solution focus let's do this so what are some things that you did to help you with that i think i it happened so organically that it's really difficult to pinpoint exactly what it was but I think for me, it's just working on on building the connections with other humans. I always focus on 
getting to know people and making sure that they're comfortable around me. There's always that level of discomfort when somebody first meets me. You can tell that they don't quite know what to do. They don't quite know what to say. They're worried they're going to say the wrong thing. Yeah. And I try really hard to put everybody at ease. I'm like, you can say the word hand and arm around me. You can say the word fingers. Hell, we could even laugh about this together. It's totally fine. People will say, oh, can I give you a hand? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, seriously, it doesn't even register as something that I take notice of. I'm, I'm that used to those sort of phrases and that it's not as if I'm waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing. So I think by putting people at ease and getting them to realize that I'm perfectly okay with my situation and I'm not easily offended and there's very little that they can actually do to offend me. I think that goes a really long way to building those relationships early on, just getting people at ease with it. What's coming to mind for me is if we backtrack all the way through mm. that comfort of, you can talk about hands and legs with me, you can talk about you know no arms, you can say all that stuff. But what I'm hearing is there was an initial acceptance within yourself for it not to be a problem. Because if you were like, it's not okay. Like, I can't believe this. My life's mm. over. This is so unfair. Victim, victim, victim. It wouldn't matter what anyone said. It all would have been offensive to you. Oh, yeah. And I've actually been through moments in life where I will acknowledge that arms would make life a shit ton easier than what it is sometimes. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been in a position where I've thought, like, I've been dealt a rough hand because I just don't feel like that, Toby. There's been so much good I've had such a full life. I've had so many incredible experiences and I've just got so many wonderful people in my life that I never, ever wake up thinking, let's trudge through mud again today. It's just not like that. It's really not. And I know that some people find that really hard to understand, but I think my life is amazing. And people often say to me, do you wish you had arms? And that's a really difficult question for me to answer because I think if I had arms, I don't know that I would have experienced some of the things that I've experienced so far. But arms would make a whole heap of things much easier. Yeah. So it's a very difficult question for me to answer. But I certainly do not hate my situation. I am very much okay with the hand that I've been dealt. Very much okay with it. It's funny you say that. I just brought up a quote. And it was one of, one of my favorite quotes. When I was going through chronic illness almost two mm. decades ago. And this quote helped me take control of my life again and it was you can't control the cards you dealt but you can control how you play them and what yep. you do with them and I think it was a quote by a guy who had no legs and he climbed one of the big mountains I can't remember which one it was I'm sure yep. people can google it and find that but yeah you can't control the cards you dealt but you can control how you play them that's your motto right your whole life motto yep People say to me, what's your key message? And this will probably have more relevance when we get a bit further down in our discussion when, I, when we talk about the stuff that I know you want to talk about. But like, I don't live by this thing that anything's possible. I can do whatever I want if I set my mind to it because I just don't think that's reality. I don't think that's reality for anyone. There's certain things that will never, ever be possible for me. I always laugh and say, you put a $2 coin in my back pocket of my skinny jeans, it's staying there like it's not coming out. Impossible <laughs> <laughs> to get that, that thing out of there. But... I, but I genuine, genuinely believe that we can all explore and expand what is possible for us. So there's an opportunity for everyone to just dip your toes in the water like, oh, I wonder if I'm capable of this or I'm going to give this a go. And if, if it's possible for the man down the street, that's great. Good on him. It may not be possible for you, but there's no harm in just exploring. Be curious. Try something new.
Love that idea of expansion. That's mm. okay. I thought of you this morning on my walk and I told you this before, but I went for this walk and uh, I had this drink bottle going through the national park and I was holding my drink bottle the whole way. I, I had never paid attention to it until today. And I was thinking about you and I know a little bit of your backstory about having no arms. And so I was really paying attention to the fact that I was holding a glass bottle and that you can't do that. I don't think we realize how lucky we are to have fingers and to be able to hold this glass. And I'm not saying it to rub it into you because how you live your life is incredible. So I can't wait to share the next part of your journey in a second. But it really made me be thankful and also just the awareness of our entire body, which we are so not aware of. I met a client and her husband recently in Hawaii and she is 86 and she joined our program, which is just wild. Like an 86 year old to invest in themselves yeah. and to want to change their life for the better at 86. It blew my mind. So when I went to Hawaii, I made it my uh, mission to go and meet her in person. And I got to meet her husband who was 96 and they live in their own home unassisted. I'm eating scones with them. They're buttering up my scones and they're get, cutting the fruit for me. And little Eric, he's so cute. He's got his little walker and he's bent over and he takes his time. And then he was telling me, I said, how are you still living like this? Like you're 96 for God's sake. Oh, Toby, every morning I do my eye exercises and I watch my hand and then I do my stretches. And one thing that I was really fascinated with, he does these little stretches every day like this and he pulls his fingers back and then he strengthens his fingers by doing this, like little weight exercises. And I said, why do you do that one? And he said, if you think about it, everything that we do is forward. Yeah. And so he was like, in a way, loving on his fingers. And, and I'd never yeah. ever met anybody in the world who says, stretch your fingers one by one. And this is a 96 year old, so much wisdom such an awesome experience big mahalo to uh, janet and eric but again it comes back to that choice of like am i going to be solution focused and what can i do to keep improving my life even at 96 with the current capacity that i have pretty damn incredible i want to get into what's the average day look like for you <laughs> um, average normal so normal day in the life of kerry lee so normal day starts at about 4 15 and I either get up and go to the gym to do a strength and conditioning session with a trainer. I've been with her for nine years now. Wow. And she has taught me so much. But the number one thing that I've learned from her is that I, in order to maintain my functional capacity and improve my functional capacity, this body has got to be strong. I have invested in making sure that my body is strong. We do a lot of work on my core and my glutes because those big muscles are what's going to support the rest of my body, my knees, my ankles, all of those joints mm. that are at risk of probably failing at some point in time just because of what I ask them to do. Mm -hmm. Either a gym session or my husband and I hit the pool for a pool training session. We <laughs> have been swimming for a very long time. And then it's to work, Toby. Like most people, I do have a, a full-time job. Yeah. So I do a full day's work and then we come home and we cook dinner together. That's my day in a nutshell with various variations thrown in from time to time. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, I want to get into swimming more because you just accomplished something that's never been accomplished before, which is pretty cool. And some of the stuff that you've done is just inspiring. And 
I remember actually I'd heard of your story a little bit, probably six months ago. And we live in the same area, but maybe an hour apart or something like that. And Mm -hmm. I was sitting there at the beach with my dog, Ziggy, having my chai tea, which I love. And then I'm sure it was you. You were in your swimsuit, standing there. And I was just watching and I was like, that lady's just been for a swim. And that's the lady that I I know her story. What an inspiration. You're out there in the ocean swimming, right? Is that what you do? Ocean swim. Open water swimming, yeah. Tell us some of the things you've done with open water swimming. My husband and I have traveled overseas with a, a group called Ocean Swim Safaris. And that's probably where our love of like real ocean swimming took hold. We've traveled to Fiji about three times and we've Lovely. actually swum from one island to another in Fiji. It was about three and a half kilometers. Which ones? Do you, can, do you remember the which ones? I love Fiji. I know, that, I know that we swam from Nathula Island, but I can't remember the name of the one that we swam to. Yeah. So wherever it's... the Blue Lagoon Beach Resort is, it's in the Asawas region of Fiji. We've swum in the Philippines. So we actually got to swim with whale sharks in the Philippines, which was amazing. I highly recommend anybody who loves swimming to do that. Um, and we've also been to Indonesia and explored the Bunakan National Marine Park in Indonesia. Wow. So generally anywhere that's really good for diving and there's some good reef, it's a good spot for swimming because we swim along the drop-off like Nemo mm. and that's where you see so so much stuff is on that reef drop off it's amazing but probably my biggest swim to date was in May last year and again in June this year I did the island charity swim which is a swim from Majimba um, all the way down to Malulaba so that's a distance of roughly 10 k's it's been 11.3 and 11.5 k's for me in the consecutive years did you swim that in one go Yes. Open water swimming, that sort of open water swimming is never a solo event. So yes, I swam the entire distance myself, but it's always a team effort. So I had a companion swimmer for both events. We had two paddlers there supporting us. And we also had boat crews who basically provide navigation and are there if things turn a little bit risque. Incredible, incredible experience. And we are out far. That swim takes you yeah. about one and a half days offshore. Yeah, there, there has been a few shark sightings between those two areas too. You love a bit of adventure. I can start to sense that. One side question is like, how do you swim though? Do you have snorkels on so you can keep? No? Wow. No, so I do swim with a pair of short blade fins. I just need that extra propulsion in my legs. I don't say it's impossible, but I would have to do a hell of a lot more training if I was going to swim 11Ks completely unaided. So I do a freestyle kick. I'm on my front. I do a freestyle kick and I, I roll probably more so than the average swimmer. The average swimmer would probably just turn their head to breathe, but I actually roll my entire torso up wow. um, to take a breath. Yeah, but I breathe on both sides. Um, it's a funny thing to look at from a, a video or something like that because it does look a little bit strange. It's just this little person kicking frantically in the water. But works for me that's a long damn way i think yeah. in miles for our overseas members what would that be like six or seven miles maybe more six or seven miles straight i think so yeah because like 1.6 k's to one yeah 1.6 k's to a mile yeah. isn't it yeah uh, just for you guys at home that's a long way <laughs> and didn't you just do this last week the great keppel island swim yeah, so just it was just last week on Saturday, actually, we were in a team. My husband and I were in a team with 
a guy by the name of Jared Gossens, who is completely blind. Yeah. Um, we were doing not quite a relay because Jared actually decided to swim around the whole of Great Keppel Island himself what? as a solo swimmer. And so that's a 20K swim. And <laughs> I've got a photo of it right yeah. here. You can that's see. It. It's a yeah. big island. That, that is bloody yeah. huge. Yeah, but tell you what a swim. It was magical. Paul jumped in when Jared hit about the 10K mark and Paul swam 5Ks and then I jumped in and finished off the, the last 5Ks and then we waited for Jared to come in and finish the solo swim. So all, all three of us had a disability. The outstanding thing though with that, Toby, is Jared swims with guides. So he has a guide swimmer that actually tethered to him for all of his swim. But it's the communication that was just so fascinating. And that's something very different for Paul and I. We can mm. see when the waters are getting a bit shallow and we're at risk of scraping our bellies on coral, whereas Jared can't. He can't see a thing. So it's all about communication with the guides. There are some really amazing underwater photos that one of our team took where Jared was very close to scraping himself on coral. And they were trying to tell him, you know, how deep to have his hands or what sort of stroke to do so that he didn't actually touch the coral and get hurt. Mm. And they, they navigated that. But it's just fascinating how it played out and how everybody was so in sync and all the training that they'd done together made for a really successful swim. So just mm. incredible. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit as well, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it's damn inspiring. Like I said, a healthy person would probably struggle to do what you've been doing anyway. A fully armed, fully legged person and lots of excuses too. <laughs> What's that life? Are you walking down the street and people complaining about like the smallest things? It must be just interesting. Oh, it, it is interesting, but I also remember that my point, point of reference is very different. So for, for somebody who doesn't have any illness, any disability, a minor injury may seem catastrophic to them. My, my perspective is different, but I also everybody's going through something, everybody's got stuff going on. So I try very hard not to adopt the, oh, you think that's bad because I don't think that's fair. If they've got yeah. no point of reference, then I think everybody is allowed to have discomfort and be frustrated from time to time. I think that's just human life, but we all need to navigate a way to deal with that so that it doesn't consume us and become our default. Well said. Is there anything that you do that helps you not default to that victim mindset is there anything in particular do you do gratitude do you journal do you listen to mindset stuff obviously you got your trainer and you've been doing that consistently for nine years and that's probably a huge motivator but is there anything in particular reading specific books that's helped you i think it's practicing gratitude i think i just remind myself day in and day out how lucky i am to have I call it my tribe. I, we've got this amazing tribe of people around us who are always there. We've got great mates. We have the opportunity to go on these holidays and have all of these experiences. So really from time to time, yep, there's going to be discomfort. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to pass because it always does pass. And there's something great at the other end of it. So my default is just to remind myself, hang on, there's so much to be grateful for here. The good stuff far outweighs this bad thing that's happening in this particular moment in time. It's just a moment. It's not forever. Mm. Give myself an uppercut and move on. <laughs> Stop wallowing. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. I love your mindset. For the people at home who are maybe struggling right now, uh, listening to this, and I'm sure they're feeling pretty inspired right now. But what's one bit of advice you would have for someone at home who feels like their life is over, feel like giving up, 
feel like life's unfair, what would your advice be to them? Um, I think oh, in those times when I've felt, when I've had a really low point, and admittedly I've never been at the point where I've wanted to give up or think that life is over, but there have been moments in time where I have felt very low and mm. things weren't going quite so well. It, it's reaching out to the people who, who care about me the most and connecting with them and going back to the people that motivate you, who want to see you get better or who want to help pull you through that. And it's not a case of unloading on them necessarily. Talk talk to them, but then be buoyed by what they can offer you. And if they are offering to help, for goodness sake, accept that help. I think that's one of the biggest things that Paul and I have learned. We had this mindset when we first got together and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but for a long time we thought that the gold standard of living with a disability was to be 100% independent and to do everything ourselves mm. and that we would have somehow maybe failed if we couldn't do it all. So we tried really hard to do everything on our own and run a household entirely by ourselves and never really ask for significant help um, until we were forced to. Paul had a catastrophic shoulder injury a couple of years ago and there was actually no way that we could manage. We were housebound. We couldn't leave the house. Paul couldn't help me because he himself needed help and I couldn't help him. But we were really stuck. Mm. And so we were forced to ask for help. But that was almost a turning point in our lives because we realized that nothing bad actually comes from asking for help. Our tribe grew. We met all these wonderful people who were more than happy to come into our home and get us as independent as possible again without necessarily caring for us. It was just an extra set of hands. And the relationship that, that we formed with them transcends the fact that they were initially part of our lives for providing assistance. They're now our mates. And there's this level of comfort now where if something turns to custard, we can pick up the phone and say, hey, really struggling here. Would, would you mind helping us out? Mm. Perfect example. Paul ended up in hospital beginning of this year with a, a back injury that needed some fairly urgent medical attention. Um, and it happened quickly. I, we, it caught us off guard and I didn't have any support mechanisms in place. And just for the first few nights, I just needed somebody to help me undo my work pants so that I could get undressed, have a shower, get into my pajamas and be okay until a support worker arrived in the morning. And I've got two lovely guys who live next door to me who are very good friends of ours. Any chance you could help me undo my pants once in the evening? He's like, <laughs> sure, no pajamas at all. But it's just having that comfort with the people around us just to say, I'm stuck, I really need help, knowing now that we've got a whole list of people that we can call on in those situations. So I think the, the biggest thing for me is just knowing when to ask for help and reaching out to those people that care most about us. Unbelievable. And Paul has also a disability as well, just for the people who didn't know. I would say this is what a power couple is. You're really living your dream and doing some pretty damn cool things. I'd love for you to share what's coming up for KL. So I'm doing a bit of motivational speaking at the moment, which is early days, but I'm, I'm loving that. And I'm loving sharing some of the stories that I've been able to share with you guys today. Yeah. We've also bought a caravan not so long ago. So Paul and I have got plans to hook up our caravan for two or three months next year wow. and follow the ocean pool trail down the New South Wales coast. So along the east coast of Australia, there are about 60 ocean pools, predominantly in New South Wales. And so we would love to use that as a bit of a itinerary for cruising along the coast in our van, parking up, 
swimming in the pools and then carrying on. Before that, we were off to French Polynesia for another ocean swimming holiday. So I have to report back on what French Polynesia is like. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, you have to get, okay. keep me updated. It's been an absolute yeah. pleasure. You're amazing. I'm so glad we got connected. Thank you, Ash, for connecting us, if you're listening. And I'm sure we might speak again soon, actually. I have a feeling we'll get you back on. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, damn. You're a powerful individual and thanks for sharing your story. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Toby. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Eats. All right. Au revoir. Hey, I hope this video was really helpful for you. If you haven't already, please hit the like button and feel free to leave a comment. What was your takeaway, your insight from today's video? It's really helpful to actually write your learnings down. We seem to embed it better and it seems to help us move forwards with life. Here are three ways we can help you right now whenever you're ready. The first way is make sure you add yourself into our free information recovery group on Facebook. We'll leave a link in the description below. It's a really supportive, encouraging place. There's no negative venting. You can ask questions to other people. There's something like seven, 8,000 people in there right now. And I'm sure by the time you're watching this video, there's even more. So go over there right now. We share success stories. We share our latest free trainings that come to the public. And we always share upcoming information about upgrades inside our program. And also when we offer free webinars or free information nights that can further help you with your own recovery. The second way we can help you, which is one of my favorite, is through all our free trainings. We're gonna leave a link in the description with our favorite free trainings that we know can help you start your recovery. Whether that's through our baseline training, which will help you stop pushing and crashing, our three stages of recovery to figure out exactly where you're at and know what to do next, or my favorite, which is our guest panel workshop, which was actually exclusive for our members. It was so damn good that I actually asked them, can we share this to the public? They all said yes, all five of them. So thank you past members. They share their five recovery secrets and it's really powerful. There's tears, there's aha moments, there's real key insight and inspiration. And so whether you're a one out of 10 and you're really struggling right now, or whether you're further along in your recovery journey and you're integrating back into life, we have you covered. The third way we can help you is through our actual paid online recovery program, the mentorship recovery program. And if you are interested in getting proper help, a holistic comprehensive plan, professional coaching from the best coaches in the world, whether that's with mindset, movement, nutrition, restorative movement, reconditioning, integrating back into life, integrative medicine, baseline, structure, routine, accountability, all things health and life. Feel free to apply for the program today. All you need to do is click on the form, cfshealth.com form, fill out the short two to three minute form application and the team will be in touch with all the details that you need to know about the program via email. So make sure you check your spam folder for all the free trainings. If you've sent through an application, please be patient. My team are real people, okay? They're not robots. So if we don't get back to you within seconds or hours, it's okay. <laughs> we will get back to you. If you don't hear from the team within two to three days, that means that it's basically gone to spam or junk and it's gone missing. So please send a follow-up email to the team at info at cfshealth.com. If you have any questions, go check it out. But I would highly recommend 
adding yourself into the free group right now, go click on that link in the description, go download all the free trainings. Honestly, the whole reason why this whole thing started is because when I went through this myself, it was so painful and so excruciating that I didn't want anyone else to have to go through it. And some of these free trainings are so damn valuable. Back then I would have paid thousands of dollars for. We've had so many comments and emails and posts saying, oh my God, the baseline training was a game changer for me. Toby, I've been doing this now for three months and I'm feeling so much better. My symptoms are decreasing. I've got more stamina. I've got more energy. I'm able to do more things. So, you know, whether you're learning from us and consuming our content through our free format, I'm so stoked. Whether that's in our paid program, I don't really care. Either way, all I want to make sure is that you are moving forwards. You are starting to really implement this work. And that's really what it's all about. Once we implement, we make change and we start to move forwards. Sending you a ton of love. Of course, feel free to consume as much of the YouTube videos as you like. There's so many really, really great ones, new and old. Sending you a ton of love and uh, speak to you very, very soon. All the best for now.